morning, everyone. Morning. What a beautiful song. Amen. Yeah, so uh, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the book. In, we're in the book of Acts this summer, um, with a couple of exceptions, pretty much. Uh, but if you have your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 2. Um, it's been well documented around here that Claire and I were the collision. We, we describe our marriage as the collision of two histories. And it manifests in a lot of different ways. And one way uh, was that uh, it's kind of melded together now, but it started out quite different, was uh, in the whole dining experience, right? Like Claire's, Claire's family uh, and Claire, they went to restaurants, for instance, that they use silverware. So they went to places that use silverware. My family, uh, we, we kind of went more to the places where you ordered by number and it was small, medium, or large. That's kind of the parameters, so that was different. Um, and Claire's always been interested in the ingredients in the food. Like, you know, to me, it's the food is there, you eat it. I mean, I want it to taste good, but uh, if it tastes good, I really am not so concerned about what's in it. Um, sometimes I have found it's better to not ask. I don't know about you, uh, especially when you're in Haiti. Anyway, um, but Claire, like, is always asking about the ingredients. We got a, uh, what we call a junk drawer at our house, and it's got recipes of different sauces and stuff. Like, we'll be at a restaurant, and she'll be like, oh, this is so good. So she asks the waiter or waitress, you know, will the chef share the ingredients? We've got all these old notes that we never do anything with, but I think she feels like it's complimentary uh, to the chef or something. Uh, and then there's those times where, you know, she'll say to me, do you taste it? Do you taste the thyme in the food? You know, something like that. And I'll say, you mean the thyme, the thyme in the food. She says, no, Scott, the thyme in the food. Uh, so it's different. Uh, and anyway, it's just been a, a great experience. Well, when you come to Acts chapter 2, um, Luke, in describing, he does this again in Acts chapter 4, in describing what's going on in the early church, um, kind of gives a list of ingredients. He, he describes what's happening as the, as the early church begins to form. And it really becomes kind of a template that we've been following for over 2,000 years in the church. We pay attention to these scriptures, for instance, in Acts 2 and Acts 4, and there's ingredients to it. Uh, what Paul or what Luke doesn't do is he doesn't give the details of how those ingredients play out in a local church. But what Luke tells us is ingredients for a spirit-led church. The ingredients, some of the ingredients that make a local church uh, perhaps magnetic or attractional. In other words, that, that, of course, the main attraction is a life in Christ. But that a spirit-led church should be a church that's an environment that people feel the presence of God. So Luke begins to describe this in Acts 2. He doesn't give us a road map. He doesn't give us the process. This is the, this is the beautiful spirit-led work of every local church. How does this look? How does this pan out? How do we do services? How do we do small groups? Do we do small groups? How do we do children's ministry? And we do all of those things. We have ingredients, we have these general things that are absolutely critical to put into the mixture, but there is a specific flavor that makes every local church 
be the unique local church that God's called that local church to be. And to move into that, you need to be prophetic at some level, paying attention to what the Spirit is doing. So in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 41, the Scripture says that those who accepted his message, speaking of Peter, Peter was speaking before this, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000, everyone say 3,000, were added that to that to the number that day. So 3,000 people added to the church on that day that's being described here in Acts 2. This is the, kind of the outpouring of the day of Pentecost and all of this begins to form. The church starts to form. Verse 42, and they devoted, everyone say devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. Were together. Everyone say together. And, and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the flavor the, and the favor of all the people. What's your flavor? Ask the person sitting next to you. And the Lord added to their number daily. I've got ingredients on my mind. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Beautiful. So you've got this picture of what's happening in the early church. And there are ingredients. Now there's so much in this scripture, but there's a few things that I want to talk to us about this morning. The ingredients of a spirit-led church. The first thing that we see is this word devoted. It's an interesting word. In different versions, it shows up in different ways. One version says that they continued in doing what they were doing. This version says, in the NIV, it says that they devoted themselves. One version says that they steadily persisted. What are they devoted to? They're devoted. They show their devotion to God. They show their devotion to God's kingdom. And they show their devotion to one another and to the people outside of the community of faith. Devotion to what God is up to in their lives and in the lives of one another. What is devotion? I guess the first thing that we need to ask ourselves individually and corporately is what does devotion look like for us on this day? I remember in the early days of Crossroads, we used to, the first gym that we were meeting in, uh, we used to say, there was certainly a core group of people, but say the church was at that time maybe 50 people. And uh, we would say to each other, the leadership team, what we called the leadership team back then, we would say, listen, you have to schedule vacation around Sunday mornings. Like you need to be here on Sunday mornings. That was a part of our devotion is like, we are going to make sure that we're here on Sunday morning because if anybody was missing, it was really obvious. It was evident. We knew that our presence mattered. And I guess part of the question on this day is, our, or, or thought is, is that our presence still matters. It matters. And it being devoted, our way of showing devotion back then in that moment was we literally would schedule our schedules around being at certain things because we knew how critical it was. Is it any less critical as things start to grow and develop? Is our devotion, uh, should it be watered down or should it lessen simply because there's growth and there's more people that start to show up? Well, apparently the early church didn't think that that was the case. They continued, they devoted themselves, they steadily persisted. 
One person says it this way. They say, if the church is strongest when people recognize they need it most, is it also true that it's weakest when people need it least? We're in a, we're, I will say it again. If the church is strongest when people recognize they need it most, is it also true that it's weakest when people need it least? See, in the early church, they had this sense that this, this new phenomenon that was happening in their midst, the church being formed, that it became a huge priority in their life. Their life literally revolved around the centrality of God manifesting God's self in the midst of the church and in the midst of God's people. So what does devotion look like? We're in an interesting time. We're in a time when, for instance, in the church, we're trying to reach as many people as we can. And in that process, we're always, all of us are wrestling with, well, what does this look like for us? Uh, there's there's a, a church in Texas that comes up as an example uh, at times just for conversation around this in leadership circles. And in this church in Texas, they're on a freeway and they have a huge billboard and it says, 59-minute services, you'll be home in an hour. And the church has thrived by basically communicating convenience. And there's nothing wrong with convenience. The Bible doesn't say in any way that we should just intentionally be inconvenienced. But is there perhaps something wrong when we are not, when our main concern isn't devotion, but it's convenience, when we get, get start to be driven by convenience? Are we perhaps co-conspirators with one another? Because in some ways you can have a problem with a church that tries to do things to make it more convenient for people to come, but isn't there a co-conspiracy that's going on that we're okay with just the convenience of it all? And where has devotion gone in our lives at a core level? Well, the early church, it's just such a contrast to this whole notion in many ways, and I think we know it. See, devotion to them was not an addendum. Devotion was critical. It was at the core. I love what Richard Foster says in Celebration of Disciplines. He says, keeping the Sabbath holy begins on Saturday night when a family lays out its clothes for Sunday and goes to bed early enough to be sure that they're neither rushed nor frantic when they enter worship. That's a challenge, isn't it? And one of my favorite Ronald Reagan quotes that I think is appropriate for what's going on sometimes with us in the church when it comes to this issue of devotion is he simply said, status quo is Latin for the mess we find ourselves in. We cannot get close to Christ outside of the devotion to Christ and outside of a devotion to what he's up to. So the question is always, what is God up to and how can I devote myself to that? individually and corporately. How do we do that as a church? Secondly, we see here that Luke uses this term together. He uses the word uh, in one form or another, this issue of fellowship or community, togetherness or connectedness, this fabric of community just bleeds throughout this portion of scripture and throughout all of his descriptions of the church. Togetherness matters. And in a culture that is so contrasting when it comes to togetherness, we, we, we are familiar with statements, well, like, that's their problem, or that's none of my business. And it, it can creep into the church family. See, the early church didn't allow that. They, it was not a perfect church, the early church. Trust me, as you read through even in the book of Acts, you see huge issues that they're dealing with. 
however they were dealing with those things. And, and calling one another higher became a priority. Opening up their lives to one another became a priority because the priority was growing in Christ. We need to be careful that when we're trying to connect with one another that we don't so soft sell this that we just remain isolated even though we're in the same room together and in the same church together. Where is the connectedness and how am I growing in that? It's interesting in this issue of calling one another higher, this word relationship, as it kind of shows up in this portion of scripture, shows up 19 times in the New Testament. This is the only time that it's actually used outside of the context of marriage. All other times, at least indirectly, relationship shows up in the context of marriage. When you, in other words, if you put this into the context of that level of pursuit of intimacy with one another, pursuit of connectedness, that's a high call on one another's lives. So the question is, how are you and I doing when it comes to being connected? And how can we grow? How can we grow in mutual involvement? Could we even name a couple of people that we're doing life with outside of, if we're married, our spouse, that we could say that we're moving toward closer connection with spiritually? That we would say we're opening up our lives at a level of relationship that's not just superficial. That isn't when somebody else has a problem, just says, well, that's their problem. The early church was highly concerned with one another's challenges, They cared for each other, and they received care themselves. They celebrated one another, and they received celebration around the things in their own life. And they prayed for one another, and they received prayer. There was this continuous uh, hospitality going on. If we need to raise any discipline in the church out of so many that we could raise, one that I would certainly suggest is just the discipline of hospitality. When you read through this portion of scripture, this breaking of bread, having communion with one another goes beyond, it includes, but it goes even beyond what we just did earlier in the service, where we come around a table together. But it is this sharing of experience in Christ together. Now, when it says that the apostles were teaching them, what you need to understand is, all right, at this point, there's 3,000 plus people that are now in the church. The vast majority of them did not walk with Christ. They weren't like the apostles. They weren't the ones that were going along the road while Jesus was doing the teachings that he was doing. So literally, they would go from one another's home to other homes, and they would just share when it says the apostles were teaching. Mainly what that's referring to is not that they were teaching out of a Bible that wasn't yet in script. What they were doing was sharing story about what Jesus had done and spoken about and what it meant to their lives and what Jesus was after in the lives of others. This is what breaking bread and sharing meals and enjoying a spirit of hospitality happens. We invite the presence of Christ. St. Benedict says it this way, when you invite someone into your home for a meal, you invite Christ. Prayer was critical as a part of this connectedness, praying together, praying for one another. There has to be some interaction in order to effectively pray for one another. 
There's got to be some conversation that I have at a certain level to be able to really pray for you and for you to really pray for me. And there's no better place than when you can sit down and be able to connect with one another in a smaller setting or even on a Sunday morning. One of the things that I love that happens uh, pretty much every week when we take communion is some of the connection that happens not only around the candle walls and around the communion table, certainly that's all part of it, uh, or at the prayer, uh, prayer board over there where people are writing prayers, but then the interaction of you see people laying hands on one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another in the midst of that. And then lastly, Luke says he makes it clear that everything is available now, when, when the scripture says that they shared everything with one another, it, did, it doesn't mean that this was some form, new form of communism that they were trying to establish or some form of socialism. It was that everything was available for God's kingdom. Everything was available for God's people and God's work, everything they had. One of the beauties of the fact that some people had and some people didn't have is it called everybody higher. It's not always easy to receive, and it's not always easy to be challenged in our generosity. But it's this paying attention to generosity, the question of how easy is it for you and I to be generous with one another. See, the generosity of a local church is one of the most attractional characteristics of a Christ-filled people being generous with one another. When it says that they sold land and gave of the resources, what that really means is there was this continual selling and giving, selling and giving, selling and giving. This wasn't a one-time deal. There was generosity happening and it became contagious. I love this quote uh, by Tertullian. He says, no one gave out of compulsion, but each one did so voluntarily. There was no demand on anybody other than the invitation to be generous before God, to be Christ-like in our generosity. If anything can be said of God, God is hugely generous with all of us. And that was a part of their sharing with one another. It says, with glad and sincere hearts. To be glad in our sharing is simply to be grateful, to be bragging like mad about God's goodness in our lives to just talk about with one another how amazingly generous God is. And then sincere hearts, it speaks to the fact that they were open with one another. They were trying to live authentic lives before each other, and God was doing marvelous and miraculous things in their life. Now, generous things happen around here all the time. It's amazing. Um, We got this envelope in the offering last week, and some of the kids were going door-to-door. $23 was in this envelope. They even made their own uh, kind of design, put their names on it. $23 came in. Uh, These group of children, they were going door-to-door asking for money for the kids in Haiti for the school box project. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, we, Ian did that. Our middle guy did that when uh, we when for the children's church when he was really little and we had to try to explain to him, uh, you know, son, that's awesome. Like you got this tension going on. That's awesome. But I don't know if it's good if you're going to ask our neighbors for money. I don't know how they're, we were new in the neighborhood, new in the community. I'm sure that was 
creating some rumors. Anyway, but but it's like the kids come alive to it. One one child this week started uh, making cakes, and portion of that money is going to go to Haiti. Last week when I gave my coin collection, this was a really cool thing. I gave my thirty dollar coin collection. Do you if you guys missed know what he's it, talking about? this was this yeah, was okay. this was such a, a fun moment. So I gave my coin collection, and uh, you ever have this kind of thing happen? And then after the service, one of the guys came up to me and said, "You know, when you gave that coin collection, I just had like this thing kind of drop, and I thought." I have got to buy that coin collection back for him. So he came up and gave like more than three times what the coin collection was worth to the church. And he says, you have got to keep your $30 coin collection. So I still have my $30 coin collection. Yeah. The gift that just keeps giving. But here's the thing. Generosity in the early church and in any environment is contagious. Right? Just to hear the stories. However, the question isn't, will the church be generous? The question is, will we as individuals be generous? It's contagious to be generous, but are you and I immune from being generous? So these are some of the ingredients that are put together so that we can be the kind of church that God has invited us to be. But then we bring these ingredients together And it it takes different forms at different times. And we bring it together to be the best that God's invited us to be. And we find ourselves in one of these beautiful opportunistic moments as a church. Yeah. Well, we actually had three prophetic words that right now we're in a season where there is a window of opportunity. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you what that means right now, but Matt will tell you next week because he actually has, God really gave him some clarity around that. Through three different voices, we're in a time of a window of opportunity. And I thought, well, why not a door of opportunity, but a window of opportunity? That's very different, you know? So I'm not going uh, to steal your thunder, my friend. You get to share that next week. And one of the things that um, has happened this week, who was here for the, the uh, service, the whole church service last week? Just raise your hand. Was it awesome? Yeah. I was not here. I was not here. I, w- I, was, uh, I was at a training. But I watched online, and, um, and I got to uh, experience some of what we heard this week in our staff meeting. Some people said it was like serious energy in the room. Do you guys, did anybody would say there was energy in the room? Go ahead. Come on. Yeah. Well, so there's no energy in the room today. Okay, let's try that one more time. If you felt like there was energy in the room, no, seriously, if you did. Yeah, yeah. And so what you may not know is there's a wonderful word in the New Testament, energeo, which actually means the power, the display of God in the room. So energy, that really, it was around God's presence here. Um, I had somebody text me as soon as the service was over um, and just say, you know, uh, oh my gosh, this was amazing. I don't want to go back to two services next week. And I was like, oh dear Jesus. And then I had somebody else text me and say, are we going to go to one service? Because I thought it was really important for us to be together. Okay. Then I got, a, I got another note from somebody saying, I, I haven't been in church with so-and-so in five years because we've been in two different services. And I remembered we went to church together and it was really awesome. And I can't tell you how many of those things kept coming in all week. Well, what you didn't know is that the eldership team has been in a discernment process for um, this entire summer. 
And so when we met together and gathered around the idea that God had something for us that we didn't quite know what it was. And we were going to just be open to what God wanted and that we would put together two all-church services and experience the prayers together, the worship together, the desire for the word together. I have to tell you guys something. I heard you laughing, clapping, amening over live stream. And you have to know sometimes that in order for the pastors to actually feel like we're together, we want to hear back from you. (laughs) So that would be right now, say amen. Amen. Okay, thank you. And so that's really helpful. It's like, oh my gosh, we're here, we're together, we're in it, right? And, um, And so that was a beautiful gift from platform here. So even the worship team said, oh my gosh, we didn't feel like we were performing. You guys want to come up right now? We didn't feel like we were performing. We actually felt like we were together in worship. Like it wasn't the platform singing, it was the church singing. Did you guys experience that? Mm -hmm. Where like the church was singing? Did you feel that? Did you feel it? And, um, and so we've been in this discernment process and we've been seeking God and we've been, um, you know, coming around some of the things like in the early church, when we were reaching the most people, like the most people were getting saved. People were getting saved. People were inviting their friends to church. We were doing everything wrong. Like all the things that, um, that church growth experts say, you know, like you've heard the stories. We were in one location and then we went to another location. It didn't tell anybody. <laughs> and then we were there for a while and then we had to move to another location and we didn't tell, you know, it was just like it. So just, just know that many of the things that we've done, um, have not been around trying to be popular and trying to be hip or cool or like the people you know, that have a word from God to do X, Y, or Z. We just have said, who are we? Who are we as a church, right? So when we were looking at the fact that we would, we would actually, as Scott said, multiply by subtraction. You're going to actually hear about that next week from Scott. Multiply by subtraction. I, he's a math guy. I don't even understand that. So he's going to have to get a whiteboard and show us what he's talking about. But multiply by... Everybody say it together. Multiply, multiply. by subtraction. Okay? Because when you get an energy in the room that is the energy of God, and there is a window of opportunity, and we're going to see things that God sees and that we can't see in our current configuration, you're going to see... One church under one roof for one purpose to glorify Christ from August 25th to beyond. It's kind of like infinity and beyond, (laughs) but it's August 25th and beyond, which means we're not going to tell, we're not going to tell you when that's going to end because we want to be in, we want to be led by the spirit of God. We want to be a spirit led church and our hearts are so full around these things, friends. I want you to know that. The eldership team is a discernment community. Our pastoral staff, every one of them were like, this is, yeah, this is what God's doing. Yeah. As Jeff said, hey, two services is great too, but I believe this is what God is doing, right? We had every, I mean, we were so of one mind. Every staff member was like, oh my gosh, I loved my church. I loved being with all the people of my church. Not that they don't love you separately, but there was something about coming together under one roof for one service for one purpose to glorify Christ and your energy was 
contagious. Like people that don't normally clap their hands might have actually put a clap together. There might have been people that actually like moved from their hands down here to maybe here. Or people from here went to here. Or people that, you know, I mean, I just want you to know that there was a contagion in the room. And we want to see many miracles in this upcoming season. We believe we are in Acts 2. We're believing that we are going to see many miracles and many provisions of God. This is a new season. And so, um, so what we're going to say is, uh, feel free. Scott and I are going to hang out, uh, in front afterwards if you want to talk. Next week, we're going to actually have the elders on a panel and you guys can talk to us and, and we're going to just have a great, uh, combination of just listening to the prophetic call on our church. And I'll tell you what, it's weird. I don't know anybody who's ever done it. It's kind of like Scott and Ruth Haley Barton always say, when have you ever heard of a pastor that felt God's call to go to a smaller church? They are, they're always called to go to a bigger church. Well, for us, we're saying, you know, when have we ever heard of a pastor that said, we're not going to do two services to make it more convenient for y'all. We're going to do one and we're going to come together in devotion and togetherness and What's the last one? Everything to everything's available. So with that, will you guys stand up with us? And so God, we're just going to offer these things to you and trust you as we're moving forward. We're going to trust you that you are our God and that you're leading and guiding us. Thank you for speaking to us so clearly and in such a unified way. And I pray God that all of us that have questions and wonderings that God, that we would just continue to hear your voice. And so we lift up the name of Jesus, all of us in this place. We're going to lift up the name of Jesus, the name we love. We're going to lift up the God we love, all creatures on this platform, all creatures of our God and King, all the people you've made, God, and all the ways you've made us to live and move and have being on this earth. We say yes to that, even if we don't understand it. We say yes to you and whatever you want for us. Creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and give us
shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril? Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God, I bless my friends with a new season that we are being brought together, no separation being brought together for your purposes. And so we say yes to whatever you say, God. And it is with Jesus, love and power and grace I send my friends forth today. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Glorify God.